Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. When you look at successful people, they all just work really, really hard. I think that sometimes we'll read about a celebrity or an executive and they'll say, I just had no plan and I just kind of ended up here. And I always think that's just not really true. There's usually years of hard work behind that overnight success you're looking at. That was Sam Edis, the founder and CEO of Park Place Payments, and she is our special guest on this, the 102nd episode of the Leaders in Payments podcast. I'm honored to have her on the show as our third guest in the Women Leaders in Payments Month sponsored by American Express. Sam grew up in New York City and played competitive tennis from childhood through college. She went to Harvard College and then on to Harvard Business School. Sam has devoted her career to advocating and supporting women. In fact, this is what led her to founding Park Place Payments. Her unique sales force is comprised of women with no payments background who are trained on how to sell payments to their doctors, dentists, and other small businesses in their local area. Sam co-hosts her own podcast, has written five books, is a renowned speaker, and makes regular appearances on TV. Given her extensive background and experience helping women succeed, she provides some powerful and insightful leadership advice for all women in payments. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Sam, and welcome to episode 102 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and more specifically, the third episode in our special Women Leaders in Payments Month. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell us a little bit about Park Place Payments and your role, and then we'll kind of rewind and talk about the journey and how you got here. Sure. So Park Place is attempting successfully, I should say, to change the experience that businesses are having with their payment processor. So I came into the business after recognizing that there were so many pain points for small businesses in terms of their payments. And I think that what's funny is when you are you own a wine store, it's because you have a passion for wine. Or if you own a pet store, it's because you have a passion for pets. It's never because you love doing the legal and the payments and all of the insurance and the things that every single business owner needs to set up. Those are the headache categories. And with legal, if you get a great lawyer, you can almost think of them as functioning as your in-house attorney. And I I thought, what if you could count on your payment processor the same way you can count on a good attorney where you basically don't have to worry about it because you know that their support is amazing and you have white glove customer service. And when I looked around, I saw that there wasn't any company out there delivering on that. There was so much mistrust in the industry. There was so little service. And I thought, what if I can change the face of payment processing? And so that's how Park Place Payments was born. Okay. And you're the founder and CEO. Correct. Yes. All right. Well, let's rewind a little bit and talk about where you grew up and what your life like was, what your life was like growing up. So I grew up as a competitive tennis player. I know you and I have talked and your daughter is a competitive dancer. So when you have that kind of focus, I think it makes you a little bit more mature early on in terms of how you manage your time and 
your ambitions. And so I kind of missed out on a lot of the sort of typical things about childhood. I was always very driven and I was always competitive. And from a young age, winning was important to me and competition was important to me. And I think that that shaped me in terms of my time management skills and just so much else. And and that led me to Harvard. And then when I graduated from there, I spent a couple of years in media. And then I ended up back at Harvard for Harvard Business School, where I got my MBA. And that was 2001. And at the time, everyone wanted to go into banking and, and private equity and consulting. And I started my first business. And that was quite an unusual path. My understanding is that now everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but back then it was not a popular choice. Right. So when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a newscaster. So I wanted to be a journalist. And I was dead set on that from a very, very young age. Okay. And you mentioned tennis. Were there other extracurricular activities that you were involved in like during your high school years? Not really. I mean, I think I was like head of the prom committee, but I was really, I played tennis between six and seven days a week. And I also went to an academically rigorous high school where I had about three hours of homework a night. So between that and trying to maintain my friendships, there was little else. Okay. And did you grow up in the LA area? I grew up in New York City, right in the heart of Manhattan on the 26th floor of an apartment building. Oh, wow. Okay. So after high school, like you mentioned, you went on to Harvard and then to Harvard Business School. So what was your college experience like? I'm still very, very close today with my college friends. It was an amazing experience. I entered Harvard as a varsity athlete. So obviously when you're at a division one school, that's important. So you immediately have a wide group of friends who are other athletes and you meet people really fast. But I had a great experience there. It's an unusual school because everyone lives on campus all four years with few exceptions. And you also eat all of your meals on campus. So my roommates and I and another rooming group we were really close with, we we literally ate 20 meals a week together. <laughs> so we became like a, a little family and we're still really close today. And so you played tennis when you were there? Yep. I played number two singles and number two doubles. Okay. Did you have aspirations of trying to turn pro in tennis? Never. No, I was always very realistic about the goal, which was to get me into the best school I could get into. And that is what it did. But it's funny because I am still in touch with so many of the nationally ranked tennis players that I grew up with. We all feel really connected. In fact, in my current business, one of them is my attorney and another one of them is an investor. So, and another one, actually, I should say, a guy I grew up playing tennis with, he does all of our insurance. So I, I like to collect people and, and keep them close. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great trait to have. So do you remember what your very first job was? Oh, yeah. So I graduated from college and I moved out to Los Angeles and I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, but behind the scenes, maybe as a producer. And I got my first job was at Creative Artists Agency, which was and still is a top talent agency for actors and directors and producers. And I was an assistant to a pretty crazy boss. <laughs> he, he was known as the toughest agent there in terms of how he treated his assistants. And yeah, I, I thought I could change him, but that was not going to happen. So he would throw things when he got angry. He would yell a lot. And I learned a lot. 
<laughs> on the plus side. So yes, I won't ever forget my experience as a Hollywood assistant. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the norm. <laughs> In Hollywood, it was. I think things have changed a lot since then. Right. Well, we're going to pivot away from your career for a minute, and I'm going to ask you some what I'm calling rapid fire questions. And I'd like, if you can, to provide one word answers where possible and trying to get the audience maybe to know you a little better. And then we'll jump back to your career if that's okay. Sure. So what was your least favorite subject in high school? Science. What is your favorite board game? I have to say Monopoly because my company is called Park Place. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? To heal people's pain. I'm someone, I'm a feeler. So if there's someone in the room that is suffering, I immediately feel their pain. Gotcha. What is your favorite season of the year? Summer. What is the most used app on your phone? Maybe Instacart, Postmates. I think that for a little while it was Clubhouse, but I'm kind of over that. That's a really great question. I have to, I'd have to probably look at my phone, but I would say it's probably Instacart or Postmates because I'm all about efficiency. Okay. If you could time travel, what period of time would you go to? Oh, my quote that I live my life by is don't live life in the past lane. So <laughs> it probably wouldn't be the past. I don't know. I'm pretty happy where I am right now. What's ironic about that is in the first episode of the Women Leaders in Payments Month had the very same answer was, I don't like to think about the past. I like to think about the future. So that's a very common theme, obviously, with female leaders. What is your favorite bird? I hate birds. Oh, okay. (laughs) Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, I love to communicate with all people. So I would say that Every language in the world would be a pretty cool party trick. Okay. If there was a movie about your life, who would play your role? Oh, gosh. That is such a great question because it's different. Probably Reese Witherspoon. I get the Legally Blonde comparison a lot, so I'll just embrace it. Okay. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. All right. So that was the 10 questions. So I hope that was fun for you and for everybody. So I passed. (laughs) You passed. You passed very well. I think we all know you a little better. Although I think I was a little bit wordy. (laughs) I don't think I'm good at the one word answer thing. Well, I said do your best and, and that's perfect. Hey, this is your host, Greg Myers. And I'd like to take a quick minute to thank American Express for being the sponsor of the Women Leaders in Payments Month. American Express is a globally integrated payments company that provides customers with access to products, insights, and experiences that enrich lives and build business success. Again, thank you, American Express. And now back to the show. All right, so let's get back to your career and start getting to a little more of the leadership side of things. But before we do that, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio because I think it'll help put into context the rest of the conversation So if you don't mind, I'm going to read a little bit here. And this is sort of directly from your website, but I'm just going to read this real quickly. As a dedicated champion of women, Sam has devoted her career to advocating and supporting women in the pursuit of their dreams. In Sam's quest to help women achieve financial independence, she launched Park Place Payments, a company disrupting the payment processing industry with a new kind of sales force, which I think we'll touch on that in a minute. 
Since earning her undergraduate and MBA degrees from Harvard, Sam has become a best-selling author of five books, a renowned speaker, and co-host of What's Her Story with Sam and Amy, a weekly podcast for iHeart. So I'm going to say this real quick. I think you're the first person that I've interviewed that also has a podcast. Sam's most recent book is The Pie Life, a guilt-free recipe for success and satisfaction. She writes a popular weekly work-life newsletter on the same topic. Sam makes regular national television appearances on shows including NBC News, The Doctors, Access Hollywood, Good Morning America, Dr. Phil, and The Today Show, among others. She has been featured and quoted in The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, USA Today, Inc., Fast Company, and Success Magazine. She was the host of a leading internet talk show, Obsessed TV, which she created and produced with entrepreneur Gary V. Sam co-founded the Los Angeles Women's Collective aimed at supporting women to run for office nationally and win. She serves on the advisory board of the Forbes School of Business and Technology. So I wanted to put into context as you start talking about sort of some of the leadership things, sort of your career and what you've done, obviously much beyond the Park Place payments. So given your success in championing women, why did you start a payments company? So I was actually on book tour for my last book, which came out four years ago. And I was speaking, you know, at companies across the country from Google to Target and Twitter and General Mills and beyond. And I was also speaking at a lot of women's conferences. And the one group of women I was unable to help were the women who left the workforce and wanted to return, but found that there were no opportunities. And Unfortunately, a lot of these women had ended up selling makeup and skincare and essential oils and wine to their friends through multi-level marketing companies. And they weren't even making martini money. I mean, they were, most of them were losing money. A lot of those MLMs actually prey on women and more than 90% of people don't even break even. They lose money. At the same time, I was also keynoting an MLM conference and I met all of the women there and they were extraordinary. They were really experienced. They had great work experience. They had a great work ethic and they just weren't given any opportunities in the workforce. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to really pair this with something that happened to me 10 years ago. So about 10 years ago, I was at a conference that was like a boondoggle for the top guys in the credit card processing industry. I say guys because... When I arrived there, there were 20 male-owned companies, so 20 founders, all men, all white men, and they all showed up on private planes. And I said to them, where are the women? Where are the people of color? And they laughed at me and said, there are none in this industry. And at that moment, now that was many years ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to come back and crush these guys, but I'll wait until like I'm 60 or 70. I don't have to do it anytime soon. But then when I was four years ago, I thought, okay, hold on, what if I could train this group of women to sell payment processing to their pediatrician and their kid's dentist and their hair salon and so on? And then their resume would have financial services salesperson on it as opposed to I sold makeup at a party at my friend's house and they'd be taken seriously. So I spent 2018 testing this model. I went to six different cities and trained people with zero background in payment processing to sell to their local businesses. And then based on their success, I raised an angel round of financing in 2019. And then we just followed up with a seed round in 2021. 
So we're growing really fast and it's been really amazing to see the reaction in the marketplace to us because we're totally different. We have a no pressure sales situation. We're completely honest. We have one rate card. We don't negotiate. We try to give you the best rate from the beginning. And our customer service is white glove customer service. And are your sales people also the customer service people? No, they're the account executives. And then once you launch, you are moved over to our merchant support team, which is they've been in the business their entire careers. So they have collectively years and years and years of experience. Whereas our account executives, who are the frontline salespeople, they do not have a background in payment processing typically. So they're from outside the industry. They're former teachers and flight attendants and doctors and Olympic gold medalists. I mean, people in every different background and field you can imagine. And we train them online to sell payment processing the Park Place way. Okay. That is a very unique model. And I'm glad that we were able to talk about it because I think people in this industry, people who listen to this will find it quite amazing and interesting. So from a leadership perspective, I mean, obviously you've been in, in this leadership role multiple times, many times, not only your own career, but now with this business. What would you say are some of your guiding principles? I think it's all about people. Like what's been really interesting, especially having raised money, is that so many people think of disruption in terms of disrupting technology. And there's constant iterations and changes technologically in fintech, which is super exciting. But I don't think we talk enough about disrupting the user experience. And so we lead with people first. We have a very strong culture at our company. It's a very celebratory culture, but it's also a we get shit done kind of culture. It's a combination of caring tremendously, but also being as efficient as we can be and really making sure that we're delivering the best possible experience to our customers. So as a leader, I think that one of the primary jobs is to make sure that your team is feeling confident and comfortable and happy. Because if you have any negativity on your team, it can really bleed into other things. And so I try to make sure that we hire for both positivity and experience. But I think attitude is everything. Okay. And this is kind of a two-part question, but who inspired you along the way and why? And did you or do you still have mentors? So in terms of inspiration along the way, I mean, my mom was probably my first inspiration. She was always shared with me from a very young age the importance of being financially independent and not depending on a man for my financial independence. And she always shared that it would mean a lot more freedom in my life to make choices not based on money, but based on passion and based on love and based on things that I really wanted in my life rather than things I had to do because I was dependent on another person financially. So that really formed the genesis of why Park Place was created because I thought if I could inject thousands of newly financially independent people into the world, that's a pretty extraordinary feat and it will change so many families' lives. And so that is still our mission today. We're a very mission-driven company. And I would say that in terms of my own inspiration, I'm inspired all the time by the stories of the people who join us as account executives. I'm inspired just by 
other women. I've always been, I mean, this is trite, but I've always been a huge fan of Oprah because I think she is a really strong leader who also leads with empathy. And I find inspiration all the time in just extraordinary people's stories, people who are doing well while doing good. And what about mentors? I've had uh, so many mentors in my life. One of my mentors is one of my first bosses when I worked in magazine publishing at Ziff Davis. Her name is Lucy Waltman. She then went on to work at Zillow after a few other positions, and that's where she still is today. And she's truly the most extraordinary sales trainer I've ever met in my life. And so I'm eternally grateful to her and we still keep in close touch. And then I think that what's interesting is I think my definition of mentorship has changed over the years. So for example, today, I if I have any sort of business problem, whether it's a founder problem or I'm raising money or whatever the subject is, I will go to certain women I'm close with who I know have been in that situation and lean on them. And I think that one of my suggestions to other entrepreneurs or other leaders is to broaden our definition of what a mentor is because it's kind of like you don't just have one friend, right? When you have one friend, that person's going to disappoint you because you can't lean on one friend for everything. You might have one friend that's a great listener and another friend that makes you laugh and another friend that you like to travel with. But in terms of when you think about a mentor, having one person, one person probably hasn't walked the same path that you have. But when you cobble together a bunch of inspirational people in your life, you have a sort of board of advisors that you can go to, whether you have a personal or professional problem. And so there's a number of people I lean on in that capacity. Yeah, I want to dig a little deeper on this subject because I think it's relevant for people who are aspiring to be leaders, right? They hear a lot about finding mentors and developing mentors, but they don't really know how. And I think a lot of times, if you're not in a big company that might have a program that you can get into that might match you up with an executive or something, do you have any thoughts on how someone that's maybe just starting out or maybe mid-level female sees someone that inspires them and wants to reach out or wants to get to know that person or have that person become their mentor? What should they do? What steps should they take to kind of develop that or try to develop that relationship? It's a great question. There's a couple of things I'll say on that. One is that when you look around you, whether it's in your neighborhood or your industry or your alumni or whatever it is, there's probably peers of yours that are doing a little bit better than you or that always have had incredible drive and are really thriving in their careers, even if they're different industries. Really cultivate that relationship with that person. Take them out to lunch or dinner or befriend them and really make sure that you have people who are pushing you a little further than you're going today. And so I think seeking out a crowd that's going to motivate you is actually quite important. In terms of someone in your industry that you admire, for example, I think it's never been easier to find those people. And one of the reasons is social media. So social media is a free way of connecting, whether it's on LinkedIn or whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. People are more accessible or Instagram than ever before. And what you don't realize is everyone has power and that power is their social media currency. 
So for example, you're on Twitter and you see someone in your industry that you admire, start following them, start liking all their posts, start retweeting them, start giving them social media love. And it actually, it tricks people and not in a bad way, in a positive way into thinking that they have a relationship with you. I have had so many people who follow me on social media who then become in real life friends because over time, you kind of almost forget how you met them or you end up developing an online relationship with them first. And I think that giving currency, giving your social media currency through likes or comments is actually a great way of getting someone in your industry's attention. Now, if you are in a corporate position and there is a person you admire in your industry that is not on social media, then there are other ways to go about it. You can send them a cold email. I can't tell you how many cold emails I continue to send in my career. If I read an article about someone, I will reach out to them and tell them how much I enjoyed reading about them. I am constantly building my network. I don't think that you should ever stop building your network. I think it's really important not just to keep in touch with people from your past, but also to constantly be cultivating new relationships. And because of the internet, it's never been easier to identify those people and figure out who they are and how to reach out to them. I think that's some great advice. So what is one characteristic that you believe every woman leader should possess? Well, it's really a characteristic that every leader should possess, and it's curiosity. I think that the best leaders are those who are constantly learning and trying to better themselves. I know that I don't have all the answers. I know that I can always be better than I am today. And so I'm constantly, whether it's listening to podcasts or whether it's reading, one of the things I'm always doing as a leader is reading novels because I think that it helps you understand people even better and expands your way of thinking and expands your creativity to be reading outside of your comfort zone. I think a lot of leaders make the mistake of only reading nonfiction books about other leaders, but often you learn more from fiction than you do from nonfiction. So that's one thing is I think that I've always been inspired by curious people. And I'm just even thinking one of the people I interviewed on my own podcast was Mindy Grossman, who was the former CEO of Home Shopping Network. And now she's a CEO of Weight Watchers, which is now called WW. She's one of my personal favorite leaders and we've become friendly. She had me do a speaking engagement at Home Shopping Network years ago, and we've kept in touch ever since. But I just admire her leadership skills so much. And one of the things that is fascinating about her is she constantly reaches out to people cold. Anyone she reads about, she's like a voracious reader like I am. And she'll just constantly reach out to people and say, oh, next time you're in my town, I'd love to take you to dinner. She's always building new relationships because she knows that there's always so much to learn. I think that's a good segue into the next question. Beyond reading, what do you do to ensure you continue to grow and develop as a leader? I'm always asking for feedback from people I respect and saying, what could I have done better? For example, I made a hiring mistake, let's say, last year. I think about, okay, what was it that I did wrong in terms of my screening process? What could I do better next time? That doesn't mean I'm going to bat 100 next time. It just means that I'm taking every single experience and learning from it. And I think one of the sort of blockers to learning and growing as a leader or in any position, frankly, is when you're defensive 
defensive and when you don't want to hear feedback and it's really hard to take constructive criticism because you're too worried about being defensive or, or defending your position. I think it's so important to, and honestly, I think at times in my life, I've been too defensive. And I think as I age, as I have more experience, I think I'm less defensive and more open to feedback from so many different sources than I ever have been in the past. And that's really helped me sort of to leapfrog as a leader more than I had been in the past. So you mentioned earlier about the conference with the 20 old white men that were running payments companies. In the last 10 years, do you feel as though that has changed? And if so, why do you think that's changed? From where I sit, it's changed very little. I go to a lot of industry conferences and I'm usually the only woman. I would say I'm very often the only woman in the room or the only non-wife, non-sister, non-relative in the room when it comes to founders or owners of payment processing companies. I think that it still remains an old boys club. And I think it's evident in the practices. It's just whenever you enter an industry where people, when you ask a question and people respond with, well, that's because we've always done it that way. You stay in that industry because that industry is ripe for disruption. And that is what the payment processing industry is like. I mean, even just a couple of months ago in the green sheet, there was an article about how to keep adding fees to your customers. Customers. And it's just crazy to me that that's actually in print. This is how it's always been done. And as opposed to saying, how can we be a partner to small businesses? How can we keep this account for 10 years, 20 years? How can we help be a resource and an asset to this business as opposed to sort of a bloodsucker of the business? And I think that I personally get inspired when I go to industry conferences because I leave there thinking, okay, I'm going to kick these people's asses because I know that we're better. We have better service. We have a better product. We have better delivery of our service. And I think it's just so important to have people caring about the health of your business. And I don't see a lot of that in our industry. I feel like there's a lot of folks who will listen to this series on women leaders and payments and kind of want to understand and get advice from people like you who have founded companies and are successfully running companies at the CEO level. What advice would you give them that would help them to be more successful as they grow in their career? I think it's opportunities to really be learning and making sure that you're always in a position where you're growing. You never want to stay in a place where you're not being challenged or expanding your understanding of the industry, expanding the opportunities you have. I think that you have to be your own best advocate when it comes to your career. And that means speaking up and using your voice and asking for more responsibility if you feel that you're ready for it. But it's also about taking control of your learning and making sure that you're not ever getting stale, that you're reading up on your industry as much as possible, that you are finding people around you that you can learn from. I think that especially when you're young in your career, what's more important than the company you're working for is the people you're working for. So look at the position and make sure that you are working for people that you know will bring you with them, people that will help elevate you and help you to learn and grow and are invested in helping you build your career and helping you think of yourself as someone who's building a career rather than just taking a job. 
similar question, but maybe for those who are thinking about starting their own company. So you've obviously done that in this space. So advice for the women out there who are scratching their heads saying, hey, I think I can do this. What kind of advice would you give them if they're thinking of starting a payments company? I think if you're starting a company, you just want to make sure that you're at a point in your life where you can take on some risk, that you have a financial plan for how to go about starting the company, that you have the confidence to do it, and that you surround yourself by people who maybe can fill the gaps that you have. I think one of the most important things is to be aware of the places where you're weak and then to hire around them. But nobody knows everything, right? And if you waited until you knew every single thing to start a company, you'll never start it. So it's much more about knowing what you're good at, playing to your strengths, and then hiring to fill your weaknesses. Well, this next question, I actually, one of my favorite podcasts is called How I Built This by Guy Raz. It's one of my favorites. And he always asks this question at the end. So this is going to be our final question. How much of your success do you attribute to hard work versus luck? Oh, I think none of it is luck. I really don't. I think that when you look at successful people, they all just work really, really hard. I think that sometimes we'll read about a celebrity or an executive and they'll say, I just had no plan and I just kind of ended up here. And I always think that's just not really true. There's usually years of hard work behind that overnight success you're looking at. And I think hard work ultimately is actually more important than talent. So if you had to choose one, it would be hard work because hard work without talent can still get you really far, but talent with hard work doesn't get you anywhere. Right. Well, Sam, we've covered a lot of ground about you and your background and your company and your advice for future leaders. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Just that thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I know from being a podcast host, I know that the work that goes into it and the research that you put into all of your guests, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's very valuable. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well.